0: Welcome, everybody, to Navigating Change, the podcast from Tybel Inc. I'm Pete Wright, and I'm sitting here with Howard Tybel. Pete Wright, we're face to face. It's too weird. I feel like we should put up some sort of a a barrier. (laughs) No, I'm used to seeing you behind like a screenshot or something. I know, it's a smile. Uh, and we have a very, very special guest on the show today, uh, John Walda, president of Nakubo, and we're sitting here at the Nakubo annual meeting. What a great opportunity to both meet you and have you as a guest on the show. We, we truly appreciate it. Welcome. Oh, thank you. It's it's great to be here. So, who's the special guest that you? Have? <laughs> That's exactly what I, how I say to Howard every single week. Uh-huh. Uh, this has been a it, it's been a real treat. I, I you know I have just. Arrived here in Seattle, and I have not uh, been the beneficiary of uh, some of the great uh, talks and resources of the annual meeting so far. I wonder if we could kick off and just do a, a brief review what have you What have you gentlemen seen and heard and experienced uh, this weekend so far and and um, uh, you know uh, how has it changed you
1: well uh, I think the we would be remiss if we didn 't uh, mention the fact that we spent part of today with Bill Gates and listened to his observations about the challenges that higher education has and the importance of higher education uh, not only in this country but around the world, uh, which really resonates with me because one of the, uh, the, the goals for the Nakubo Association is to speak more about the value of higher education and advocate, if you will, on behalf of, of uh, our industry for ways in which higher education can serve more people can make more of an impact on their lives and more of an impact in this country. Uh, so I, I thought Bill Gates really teed that issue up very well. Uh, the other thing I, I've observed by uh, spending time through the, throughout the halls of the convention center is that uh, there's a recognition that the role of the business officer in strategic thinking about the future of our higher education institutions uh, is evolving and expanding. And it's not hard to understand why that is. The why that is is that uh, without a business model that works, uh, improvement, expansion, uh, student success, uh, those things are elusive unless you've got the resources to do it. And therefore, business officers are more and more important in the conversation.
2: Yeah, so I'll tell you what. What's been so impressive for me is, you know, after Alison Levine told her story about her, just who she is and how she, how she has used her climbing and sort of that that way of thinking about leadership. I think that I walked out of there, and that there was dialogue and discussions among people. Even one that I found so profound, I was talking to a woman uh, CBO, and she said, "You know what." This job is not for the faint of heart. <laughs> and if you're not willing to be put yourself out there and say, we're going to do whatever we can to make the changes, uh, you shouldn't be doing this job. It was the first time I heard a business officer really commenting. And I think this is the message, is that this is an exciting time. And this is what I shared today in my session. It's an extremely exciting time. And I think what's happening is people are recognizing they have a choice. You know, They have a choice to sort of go through the motions or they have a choice to really have the impact, and you look around a campus, there is nobody else—not the president, not the trustees—who has access or could get access to the data to tell the story. And I think what you're doing here, and um, I was talking to somebody else today, said, "Oh, Kelly Fox from Colorado," she said, "Every session she's in, an underlying theme that she's hearing is, we need to be better communicators." And so that's a, that's a that's a story that's being shared over and over again, even in very detailed kind of, you know, debt conversations, we have to tell the story well, right? Conversation about financial aid, we have to tell the story well. So, so John, I think that something's happening for business officers in the way that people are showing up here, which is really exciting.
1: Oh, it is. I think another good example of that, you're too modest, is that the session that you did on communicating financial information, once again, was one of the most popular sessions Mm -hmm. at the meeting, and that has to do with this expansive role for the business officer that I was speaking about before. Uh, It used to be that if you did the accounting and you did the finance and uh, you closed the door to your office, you could be an effective business officer, and that simply isn't true anymore. But it's not just about communicating with other people uh, in the management team, the provost, the president, et cetera, uh, or even about, uh, not even just about communicating with other people on campus about the necessity to make change, uh, to consolidate programs, to do this, that, or the other thing. It's also uh, about the necessity to speak to the public and to public policymakers about the issues in higher education and that is something that business officers historically uh didn't do but they they certainly do that more and more and uh, one of the strategic goals for our association uh over the next 3 years is to uh enhance the manner in which business officers can talk about the value of higher education and to talk about how it is that we are trying to maximize the value that uh, you can get out of higher education programs from our campuses by enhancing revenue, by cutting costs, by looking at new delivery mechanisms, et cetera. Um, so, a lot of our work is wrapped up in uh, creating uh, or collecting data that's important and then figuring out ways to use it as a tool to make decisions and then communicating that externally. Mm-hmm.
0: That's, that's a fascinating, uh, it's a fascinating shift. And I'm, you know, I'm coming at this from the perspective of a, a faculty member. And, and when I look at my university, I think uh, I, I don't see a, a business officer that really understands the expectation of communicating effectively to this broader audience, this, the more the public policy issues. Yeah. right? Um, I, could you talk a little bit more about what your expectation is in terms of changing the way business officers, uh, CBOs, think uh, about
1: this sort of boots on the ground
0: um, level of activity?
1: Sure. Okay. I, I, let's start with uh, what it is that drives public policy. And then, then I think it's easier to understand why the business officer has a key role. I'd say that there are these days probably three things that drive public policy around higher ed. One is the real need to uh, educate more uh, citizens, uh, either a two-year or a four-year degree, to enhance their lives and to improve the quality of life in the country from an economic and a social perspective. Uh, That's why the president has set a goal for Forty percent of uh, of uh, working citizens to have a degree. That's why the Lumina Foundation and the Gates Foundation have done the same thing. The second thing that drives it is uh, that drives public policy is uh, uh, the uh, uh, the constrained resources that higher education has, uh, and the need to find other ways to finance what we do. And, and the third, then, is, is about uh, public attitudes about higher education. That certainly drives public policy as well. So when you think about those things, you, you've got to look at the business officer as someone who is responding to those specific needs and the concerns that are expressed. So if you've got uh, uh, constrained resources, is obvious. Who's better equipped to talk about? the constrained resources that are hampering the number of people we can educate, how fast we can educate them, and uh, the broad range of degrees that are needed in this country. How do we get those people into our institutions and out the door without the money to do it? Uh, So we, as a a business officer association, are making sure that our people are ready to talk to state legislators and in for community colleges, to the community, uh, and to their representatives in Congress about the need to continue to supply a proper revenue stream for higher education. Uh, at, at the same time, uh, when you, tuition, you know, often making up for a lack of uh, funds from government, uh, business officers are fully aware that in many localities and with many institutions, we've reached a ceiling on our ability to uh, get more net tuition uh, out of students. So the business officer has to talk about, okay, that's a reality now. Yeah. Now what are we going to do about it? We can't just shift the burden well, was, from it, the government to students and families. And it was interesting because Bill Gates today
2: really, in a, as a in, in some ways. A, a historical technologist, really spoke very passionately about the idea that the technology is coming, that is going to get it right, and they're experimenting now. I mean, I've heard Clay Christensen, and I think he's a driver of change. But hearing from Bill Gates face-to-face, telling this group, listen, this is coming, and you need to start preparing yourself for how to embrace this idea of hybrid education, into your classrooms. And I think that That's there's right. still this attitude out there that maybe we don't have to go there. A lot of campuses are saying, maybe we can t- continue with the traditional approach. And he was very clear, you know, and, and I think he's got some credibility in terms of predicting right. future trends. That and I had never heard it so clear from somebody who has that credibility that that this group should be pushing on that agenda about the academic business model.
1: Well, that's a really good example, maybe the best, of how the role of the business officer has changed because uh, heretofore it has been uh, a a, a, a hands-off for the business officer on how we deliver academic content. Well, nowadays it can't be hands-off because not only is it a means to deliver academic content, but it's a part of the business model. It's a way to deliver education uh, potentially at a lower cost. More importantly, it's a way to deliver your product to an expanded yes. client base, right. if you right. will. Because, uh, you know, distance education, that says it all. They don't have to live in your community or come live in a dorm. Yeah. And, and, and so it's a part of the business model. And it
2: was very clear, too, about the volume concept. You know, there is, there is a capacity if you embrace this idea. And without using language that turns people off, You know, I was leading a board retreat, and there was a conversation. Once we brought up MOOCs, and we had some academics in the room, they jumped all over that in terms of that is not appropriate for our campus. And in some ways, I think we're moving away from the use of that language to really talking about it more holistically, which is how do you make something available that could actually grow your volume and then produce revenue sources you can't even imagine today?
1: And I think we have to be sensitive to those faculty members who say that isn't appropriate for yes, the campus because I agree. not everything is appropriate Completely. for a specific campus. We forget in this country sometimes that we don't have a system of higher education. Mm. We have multiple systems that that uh, interact and overlap, but in, in, in some of them, uh, the the most important ingredient is the residential experience and the classroom experience. Yeah. But but if you're challenged to get students in those seats, then you have to start looking at a, a, at least one step down the road. And in many institutions that I visited and know well, that first step down the road is a blended learning experience. You and Bill Bill Gates mentioned this today. You, yes. You listen to the lecture on your own time, and then you come uh, prepared to interact with a professor around a table in the classroom, a flipped classroom, if you will. Yes. Uh, but that has to be technology-assisted. Uh, the nice thing about it is it has the potential not only to improve the educational experience, better outcomes, if yeah. you will, but it also makes it possible to reach a bigger audience. You
2: know, but I can tell you, I'm torn by how to, how to get... Uh, Academics and administrators to be in a true dialogue around collaborating on these issues. There's there's too much conversation around resistance. You know, we, we go so we, we go so quickly to uh, faculty are resistant, and I think that is a, That's a, a complete exaggeration. You know, we have some people in every industry, in every role, there's resistance, but overwhelmingly. I think what we haven't done effectively or business officers or the, or the administrative side of the house is figure out how to make the case that invites them into the conversation you know, versus telling them you have to change. It, just, it makes perfect sense why the reaction from academics would be you don't understand what we're really doing here. And and that to me is the shift that has to happen is learning how to influence by inviting people in as opposed to trying to convince people that are delivering the model, doing the mission their way, that you have to change because if you don't, we're going to go out of business. And I'm not saying that administrators do this, but I think they don't have the language yet and, and, and in some cases, the, the comfort level to have those kind of collaborative conversations. You
1: know? Yeah, we, we believe that too, and that's why uh, we co-sponsor uh, a program, a live program every year that is designed for the team of the chief financial officer and the chief academic officer to come and uh, sit in a room and talk about the very issues that we're talking about. That takes place in August. Uh, ACE is the other sponsor. You know, they're the big uh, presidential association. But uh, we sell it out every year because there is a growing interest and a realization that uh, this is a collaboration that has to take place.
0: Especially as there are new demands, like you say, the, the business officer, the new demands on the business officer to be, uh, to function as more of an institutional leader, to take on more of that role, but not know how to talk about it in a way that engages yeah. this academic audience. Because the bottom line is, I mean, you look, take flipped classrooms, uh, you know, you when you present the flipped classroom to a traditional educator who has come to the table with that open mind, they see oh my goodness, not only can I be more effective in the classroom, I can have more fun with my students. I can work on more practical outcomes. Yes. I can prepare them in a way that I've never been able to do because I've taken away the expectation that I have to deliver content. That changes the dialogue in itself. I, I think what, what's so challenging about this, what we're seeing, is, is teaching business officers how to have that, that level of dialogue, uh, yeah. those who don't teach. And, and I think what you're doing, John, as an association,
2: is you're, you're making available to those who are ready for those changes to show up and be in that dialogue. Because I always that's look right. at a room full of people, and I, I often say, I'm speaking to the choir, it's the people that are not here that are the ones that should be here. You know, To me, that's always the bigger dilemma, is that the ones that show up are the ones that are looking to learn and change and adapt. And then there's a larger audience out there that, that somehow are, are, insulate themselves. And I'm always asking, how do we attract them into the conversation?
1: Well, there is uh, there's bound to be an effect on those that don't show up. Hmm. The effect is that those who do show up and become more collaborative across the campus and try new things and repair uh, a broken business model, if you will, uh, will excel And if others don't keep up, uh, they won't be able to compete for students, Uh, and that will cause change too.
0: You've just finished part one of our conversation with John Walda. We pick up next week with a conversation on the broader public policy debate going on in higher education. So make sure to check your feeds for next week's episode. You can find out more about this show at tybelink.com. You can subscribe for free in iTunes. Make sure you don't miss a single episode. And please reach out to us on Twitter, at Howard Teibel or at Pete Wright. We'd love any comments or show ideas, anything you'd like to share. We would love to hear it. On behalf of John Walda, Howard Tybel. I'm Pete Wright. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week on Navigating Change, the podcast from Tybal, Inc.